Thank you for listening to the Trojan Talk Podcast. Quick preface at the top of the show, because we have a great show. I did not cover all this in the intro. We had my familiar co-host Max Brown on for a solid hour reacting to the Clay Helton news and where things go from here for USC. But at that time, I did not know that we would have more guests on the program, so I did not introduce them in the initial intro. So we're doing the intro to the intro. So on the show today, we have Max Brown, former USC quarterback and our TrojanSports.com analyst. We have Adam Gorney, national recruiting director at Rivals.com, to weigh in on the recruiting implications of the Clay Helton firing and the coaching search at USC. And then we have our good friend, Antonio Morales of The Athletic, who had a great story Tuesday, looking back on how the Clay Helton era unraveled. And we had him talk about that and also just uh, his reaction to the way things unfolded Monday and his thoughts on the coaching search. So really proud of this show. I uh, hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. And lastly, before we get to it, we have a promo. Because this is such a pivotal and exciting time for USC football, and our Trojan Talk message board is lit. There's so much going on. I love logging in and seeing 30 new messages and comments to respond to every hour. Uh, We want to get you on there if you're not subscribed already. We have a 60-day free trial that you can activate now or at any time using code NEWUSC. It's NEWUSC. N-E-W-U-S-C. And if you go to the homepage at TrojanSports.com, you will see a big banner advertising that promo. You can just click on that. It'll take you right there. There is no commitment required. It is a true free trial. We want to get you in, get you a part of this, and hope you stay after that and after you find out who the coach of USC football is moving forward. Without further ado, I will get to the second intro. Welcome to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm sure a very highly anticipated edition of the Trojan Talk Podcast as we are recording Tuesday morning, a day after the biggest news to happen to USC football in quite a long time. The Trojans make the decision that fans have been clamoring for for several years and one that just seemed like it had to come at this point given where things were going after the loss to Stanford on Saturday. USC fires Clay Helton on Monday, names Dante Williams as the interim head coach, and will begin a national search for its next head coach. I'm Ryan Young, joined by Max Brown. You know him as the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst. And uh, Max was on the Trojans Live radio show last night talking to Mike Bone and Dante Williams. Max, welcome. We have a lot to discuss. Lots to discuss for sure. No, I waking up yesterday morning, or I guess even at lunch yesterday, I had no idea this was uh, about to happen and certainly shocks the world or shocks the USC world. And there's no shortage of headlines ever in, uh, in, as a USC Trojan to talk about. Yeah, you, you mentioned didn't see this coming. I mean, I certainly left the Coliseum on Saturday night after that just – I don't know what the right adjective is for it, you know, humbling, deflating, embarrassing, whatever you want to use, loss to Stanford, in which the Trojans as 17-point favorites were down 29 points in the fourth quarter before losing 42 to 28. I walked out of that game Saturday night saying that was the end of the Clay Helton era. 
And that was a conversation that I had with other reporters. And we were all like, that's, that's going to be the end. But we did not mean that in the immediate sense. We just thought eventually we'll look back on this game and this is the reason why he's going to be let go. Wasn't sure it was going to happen this quickly. And especially after USC had Helton do his regular Sunday night media call with us, I, I went into Monday thinking, well, nothing's happening this week. So, you know, I was out running errands when the news broke. Another buddy on the beat told me he was he had just gotten to the vet to drop off his, his pet when the news broke. So we weren't necessarily, like, on high alert or braced for uh, the storm. So it was a surprise in that regard. You kind of touched on it already, Max, but just kind of expound on, on what your reaction was once it kind of sank in that this was real. I think, yeah, to your point, I think that the timing of the decision to allow it to extend to Monday afternoon probably shows that, hey, the athletic department was, was I'm sure, caught off guard in some respect, too. Like, no one thought that this was going to be the end result after the Stanford game. And we've had a lot of goofy losses over the, the Helton era and a lot of losses where I'm on the pre or the post-game show having to talk to callers about firing Clay, and it felt like you know, here we go again type of thing. But this loss was different, like you said, just because you're supposed to absolutely blow Stanford out and then you get blown out and you get beat on all phases of the game. It wasn't like, hey, it's just one area or anything like that. And when it's so clear it's all phases of the game, I mean, man, that that falls on the head coach. But, yeah, I, I was surprised right away. And I, I would – I would be shocked anyone who said, "Oh man, I, I saw it coming. I saw it coming." No, because we've we've been thinking this was on the, in, in the works for for a while. There's been a lot of games, Ryan, where we've come on these post game podcasts and said, uh, "Hey, I mean, alluded to the fact that could this be the end, or how much longer does he have, or or at least the, the fans have been calling for that." So first reaction is surprise, but then from there, I do think I sensed for the first time in a while a sense of. Um, genuine optimism about the, 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 the future looking forward for, for SC football and Clay's done some good things for the program in terms of those couple big time bowl games and um, I always date it back to I mean the whole reason Clay got this job in large part back when, when I was on the team in, in 2015-2016 was at that time the program was an absolute chaotic uh Unbalanced. That, that, that's the words that come to mind for, for, for me. And, and Clay was a sense of stability. And that stability, I do think he brought that back into the program, but he didn't bring back the, the winning and the, and the, and the chasing championships. And that's obviously why the change was made. Yeah, a couple things I want to touch on there. And, and first of all, I want to, I think, should credit the USC Athletics Administration, AD Mike Bone, Senior Associate AD Brandon Sosna for the way they handled this, and that this news did not leak out. The players did not find out about this on Twitter or, or elsewhere. They told Clay Helton on Monday. They immediately went and told, told Dante Williams, went straight into the team meeting. Mike Bone and Clay Helton broke the news in the locker room. No one knew anything was happening before that. I think it's the way they handle it, and it's often not the way it's done. And Obviously, fans of USC... No, that's not the way it's been done in the past. The word tarmac has been part of the USC lexicon ever since Lane Kiffin. It was just a very professional way to handle it, and Helton deserved that. I mean, while I know that USC fans aren't going to shed any tears for Clay Helton, nor should they. I mean, he, listen, he he was given a very, very, very long run to try and fix things, and he had ample time, and, and just 
it never really turned the corner. He made a lot of money. Uh, he's going to be just fine. But he did handle himself with professionalism and class throughout his tenure. I know, Max, you might have some more complicated thoughts just because you played for him and, and went through your own things with him. But, you know, from the outside, for us media guys dealing with him, I, I've covered a lot of coaches. I've covered coaches I like. I've covered coaches I definitely didn't like. I've covered coaches who were absolute jerks to the media. And, you know, A, that's not their top priority. It's, it's not how they treat the media. But I thought it said a lot to Helton that for all the flack he took and all the criticism that a lot of us dished upon him these last few years, he was always uh, very friendly, took all the questions, was a genuinely nice guy. I know the players genuinely cared about him and liked him, uh, the families of the players, his staff. So uh, he deserved a respectful exit. And I don't know if being canned in week two of the season is necessarily that, but if you're going to do it, then I think the way they handled it was respectful and that uh, he got to address his team and his staff before the outside world came crashing down with all their opinions and reactions. It's a good call because I remember when I had to go through this in 2013 and 2015 with the Kiffin firing that you alluded to, and then the Orsher or the uh, the Stark Delio, whatever you want to call that, in 2015. Um, it was very public in that regard, and I remember getting texts the the day after the game saying, um, "Like team meeting, come come to the meeting room." And at that point, everyone's scrambling, everyone kind of sees the writing on the wall, so to speak. So in the social media day and age we're in it's a, it's a it's a good call out by you but yeah to your point about clay the one of the main reasons he was given such a long leash is he had such a great rapport with his players and that's that, that that's unique usually when a, when a team's losing usually when you have a guy a bunch of a locker room full of guys that came to win national titles and that's not happening you're having guys that are pissed off you're having guys that are frustrated but most guys in that locker room um really really liked clay and um I think there's a there's a reason. Obviously, he lasted so long because uh, most of his players, you know, were excited to to show up and and, and play for him every day. But yeah, what, we're gonna look back on on Clay and, and what a weird run it was because I feel like his timing was incredibly unique. I mean, obviously, he get, is, is is right place, right time. As, as weird as that is to say, with how Sark um, went down, and at that point, I can't stress enough. I mean, SC fans, remember those times. Remember that the, the times where the, the, the program was in just disarray and, and Clay was the sense of stability. And to go through that, to go through some of the big bowl, the bowl game wins, to then we, we talk about it now in terms of, oh, how did he get the, the, the contract extension and the, the, the buyout and, and uh, how big was that price tag and is that a reason why it may not have happened 18 months ago kind of thing. But at that point, after those two... Uh, after the, the the bigger bowl game wins, uh, you had a coach there that was a sitting duck on the recruiting trail, and you had to give him ex an extension so players were confident that they, that he was the head man. And we can argue whether you had to do that or not, but at the end of the day, they just they decided to uh, to move forward with him. That gave him a longer leash. You had the pandemic, which we, Ryan we talked about that probably bought him a, a free season and whatnot, and so. You blink, and uh, Clay told us in the coaches' show a couple weeks ago, he's been here 12 years. I remember when I was a junior in high school back in 2011, or 20, yeah, 2011 sophomore, I was 2010. Clay's been here a long time. Uh, he, he, I heard him call 
I see the Disneyland for coaches uh, <laughs> in terms of all the uh, all the resources and whatnot. He loved SC, had every ch- opportunity to have success, and I thought it was noteworthy in Mike Bone's comments in the uh, in in the, the the Twitter release where he alluded to the fact that hey, we've given them we've given this program the resources needed to have success, yeah. and he, he doubled back on that a few times. I don't think that was always that you, you wouldn't have said that 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 wouldn't have been that wouldn't have been a Twitter release five years ago, and it really feels like. Mike Bones got a good good pulse on what his program needs needs to head, and I credit them for not dragging this thing out because I know as a player that can become a dark cloud that uh, looms over the season. So you, you rip the bandaid off and and you move on on for everyone's uh, everyone's sake at this point. I want to get more into Mike Bones' statement because it was very interesting and very uh, strongly and strategically worded. I want to get more into the timeline, but just to build up the point you just made, I think. I did a little video thing with Rivals yesterday after the news broke, and I said that this is like an unparalleled situation in college football history where you have a coach who spends four solid years on a flaming hot seat with the fan base calling for his job that entire time pretty much, and you just don't see that at a program this size. Normally, once, once things turn sour, a move is made swiftly. As you noted, uh, some interesting circumstances factored into a confluence of events that, that led to Helton getting year after year after year, despite the public sentiment remaining the same. And again, this is not a feel sorry for Clay podcast at all, but I would love to one day hear his true thoughts on what it was like going through that. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, no one is impervious enough to do a very hard job day in, day out, and just get hate heaped upon you year after year without it taking a toll on you. So I hope for his sake that maybe, while this is not what he wanted, maybe there is some relief for him too now that it's over, just to say that he can take a break from this and, and not have to go through that grinder every day. I'm glad you said that, the, the word relief, because I, I made the same comment uh, at home last night. I was like, I wonder, wonder what Clay Hilton's doing right now. Like, obviously, he's disappointed. Obviously, I'm sure he's sad, but there's got to be a sense of relief. There's got to be a sense of him, you know, in some respect, going home last night, sitting down on his couch and just taking a deep breath. Because it has been, like you said, a scorching hot seat for for years. There has to be. That, that, that takes a toll on a on a coach on a human being anyone there i mean more so than other coaching fires i i feel like his is gotta have a big sense of relief coming out of it i want to go through the timeline and we'll get into the the statement from mike bone and, and just the present day stuff but i saw a lot of questions on on twitter as if you're gonna fire him in game two why not just fire him after last year uh a lot of fans saying you know great move by by bone but two years too late, three years too late, whatever. So let's just go back to the timeline as to why it didn't happen earlier. So obviously, he gets the extension in February of 2018. That extension takes him through 2023. His salary goes from $3.2 million to $4.5. If I have the numbers right, that was what the LA Times reported when they were able to obtain some of the tax records from the university. You know, he comes out and they go five and seven in 2018, and, and things bottom out. It, it got ugly, you know, as, as I've mentioned in stories and 
Uh, other comments I made that we had fans paying for an airplane to fly a banner over the Coliseum, imploring Lynn Swan to fire Clay Helton. I mean, it, it was that ugly that long ago. We're talking more than almost three full years ago. It was that ugly already. But the extension was there, and there was just no way that they were going to eat an entire extension that had barely even started yet. I don't think any of us like fully grasped that in the moment because a lot of us thought that there was a real decision to be made there by Lynn Swan, and I think when you look back on it, there probably wasn't. 2019 comes, Swan loses his job, Mike Bone comes in in November, USC improves moderately to 8-5, and five, but they get blown out by Iowa in the bowl game, and I remember Mike Bone's face on the sideline, just, I, I could just tell it was just eating him up, because, and we'll get into into Mike Bone later, but if fans don't believe it or, or, or don't think it's sincere, just, that guy wants to win, he, he really sincerely wants to win. And I, I could just see his face on the sideline in 2019. And again, we thought there was a decision to be made. But when you look back on it, he had just gotten there. He hadn't even put his staff together. As we've come to learn, Brandon Sosna, his number two, is intricately involved in everything that Mike does and, and this program does. And he hadn't even arrived yet. So Mike didn't have his right-hand man, was just getting to know the rest of the power structure within the university. And it, as, as he would allude to later, he was you know just starting to build alliances that are important for his job. He, he doesn't operate on an island. He, he really has to operate within the power structure of this university, and that has a lot of tentacles to it. And so he's just getting to make relationships there. And I don't know if, if he was ready to make a move like that. And, and the other point is, if you're going to make a move, you have to know that you can make the right hire. Worse than continuing the struggle is to make a change and continue the struggle. So you have to be fully confident that the change you're making and the move you're making is going to pay off immediately. And I don't know if in surveying the landscape, they felt that there was an option out there. We're not even going to go down the Urban Meyer rabbit hole. Uh, I think we've just learned over time that that probably wasn't ever as viable as many people thought. We'll never truly know President Carol Folt's role and, and whether she was an obstacle to making a move at that point. I, I've, I've tried for two years to get clarity on that and no one will ever address it. So that's just an unknown. But take all those factors into consideration and you can look back and see why maybe 2019 wasn't as easy a time to make that move as one might think. Despite the recruiting struggles in 2019 as they as they them out and ranked tied for 71st in the rivals' rankings, yeah, there, there was cause to make the change then. I just don't know if a totally conducive time for all the reasons I mentioned. And then 2020 comes. It's the pandemic. They go 5-1, and one, recruiting rebounds. You're not going to fire a coach who just got you through a very unparalleled time and did decently enough on the field and then recruiting. So he was going to come back this year. But I was telling our message board followers, our subscribers, trust me, there was going to be an evaluation on Clay Helton this year. And they, a lot of them didn't believe me. They, they said, I, I followed this program long enough. He's, he's going to get a contract extension. He, he's going to be here for another five years. He's going to be here until the end of his contract. And I said, well, he, he may be here beyond this year, but he's going to have to earn it. There's going to be a true evaluation. And sure enough, it came swift and it came decisive. Two points I want to emphasize or add on with the, the, the 2019 year, right when Bone arrived. Because uh, I remember he literally 
got there on like a Friday and we were his first interview on stage, the, the, the US, USU radio. And it really felt like he was fresh off the plane by himself. You mentioned he didn't have Brandon. But at that time, like date back to November 2019, there was also the SC scandals that were in play in yeah. front of mine more so than they were now that I think made you talk about him trying to build alliances and that made those scandals made that point even stronger and the, the, the waters and the entire USC athletic department were even choppier outside of clay. Like we're get, you don't even focus on football outside of football is even choppier. And I think an important note also is we can't lose sight of Mike bone probably laid his pet head on the pillow at night and, and said, one, like you said, if, if I don't have my guy or there's no big fish out there that I can go get, I can't go make a move. I can't make, I can't go make a lateral move. And then two, he had to be, he had to know inside that when it's evaluation time for Mike Bone, when Carol, when Carol Fult evaluates Mike Bone, hey, two years later, when it's 2021, when it's September 2021, Clay Helton is not going to be Mike Bone's guy. That won't necessarily go down on his record. And I think that probably in his mind gave him a little sense of comfort in terms of now I can give myself a little longer leash. I can get my, my feet wet. I can evaluate everything across the entire athletic department and I can make this decision down the road and by my own self time versus if Mike Bone makes a bad football hire right then in, in December of 2019, I mean, shoot, we, we could be talking about him uh, going out, but as a result, he, he gains himself some time and uh, I definitely think that's an important factor for a new AD right then. And it's a big reason why, you, in an ideal world, you probably wouldn't hire an AD um, late in, in the football season yes. and kind of have him be behind the eight ball in terms of the evaluation process. And that's one of mine now because now you have a full three months to evaluate every football candidate across, the, uh, across America who could be your head coach. Yeah, exactly. I'll add one more point for 2019 as well. Just to that that I did mention earlier, you know, yes, he could see the the on the field results. He could see the record. He could see recruiting rankings, but he hadn't yet like done a thorough, extensive audit of the program at that time. And I don't know if if he was fully confident. He knew where all the weaknesses were. And if you don't know where all the weaknesses are, how are you going to address them when you're making a hire? They would go through that process very quickly. Uh, the day after that Holiday Bowl loss, Brandon Sosna met with Joseph Wood, the director of football operations, and Spencer Harris, the director of player personnel, and started making a list of what does this program need. And they spent hours going through all that, and then they spent the next year and a half addressing all that pretty thoroughly. I remember Sosna told us last month when they talked after one of the practices at fall camp, he said, I, I have a sticky note on my desk of everything that needed to be checked off from those meetings and I'm happy to say that it's all checked off and that was all the infrastructure stuff that was you know doubling the size of the recruiting staff which was just long overdue and we've talked a lot about that but it was it was a huge uh, piece of the puzzle it was adding more support staff it was even little stuff like getting an actual grounds crew to manage the practice fields when uh, before it was just the the university campus lawn staff at that, that did everything else was doing the practice fields too, and now they have the crew that manages the Coliseum. That was a thing. That's funny. They got a little, uh, they got a little greens crew out there. Yeah, I mean that that flew under the radar, but I just you think about a program like USC wouldn't already have that taken care of. That they would be relying on the 
on the university maintenance and landscaping staff to do their practice field. They got the, the Coliseum folks now doing it. And it's just little things like that across the board, uh, hiring the director of nutrition, stuff like that, that just helped make this more of a professional operation than it was at that time. And for those reasons, I know that internally they feel that this job is much more appealing than it was two years ago. And that includes having a Dante Williams in the fold. And we'll get more into him. But just the changes they've made in so many different areas, they feel that they have a more appealing position to sell than they did two years ago. So you can definitely say that the decision was long overdue, and I wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, listen, I my first season here was 2018, and I, I was on podcast and, and writing columns then saying they've got to make a change. After 2019, I was writing columns that they've got to make a change. I thought the Oregon game that year when they got – kind of uh, blown out by Oregon at home, I, I thought this is the end of the Clay Helton era. And I think there was a lot of those moments along the way. Where, there was a lot of those moments along the way where people thought, okay, this is it, and it wasn't. But as we have the time and distance to look back with perspective, I think there are explanations for why it took this long. And whether you agree with them or not, there are at least explanations that make some sense as to why we got here. But the fact that they did this in, in week two of the season – I think makes the statement that they're not fooling around, that they are very serious about getting this program on the right trajectory of success. And once they saw that it didn't seem to be going that way, and once they realized that, man, it's going to be ugly the rest of the year in terms of the fans, we've lit the fuse on this thing now, and it's just going to be all help and hate the rest of the year, booze in the Coliseum. I think they they realized... if. If we're not going to keep him after this year, there's no need to keep him now. Let's make the move. And you have to give a lot of credit to Mike Bone and Brandon Sostin. I agree. They, they, they had the decision, and uh, they didn't do a daily around and do it. I would love to just be a fly on the wall in terms of if this was even front of mind. Obviously, they're discussing every single option. But, I mean, I talked to Brandon Sostin on the sideline at 7 p.m. on Saturday when I was doing my radio gig. And he was pumped about the student section and was making reference to the, the, the largest seller, one of the largest sellouts for, for the student section in, in a while, post-COVID. And I cannot think that a coaching fire was even on his mind. And here we, 36 hours later, a new man, uh, we, got, we got a new head man. So crazy few days for them. I don't think it was on the mind then, but I think it probably was by the end of that game, if I'm... I'm speculating. Uh, so let's get into Mike Bone's statement. And it wasn't the typical, you know, down the middle, play it safe, hit all the popular notes statement. It was a pretty sharp comment. I'm just going to re- read one part of it here, and then we can discuss it. Bone said, As I committed to upon my arrival at USC, during the past two off-seasons, we provided every resource necessary for our football program to compete for championships. The added resources carried significantly increased expectations for our team's performance, and it is already evident that despite the enhancements, those expectations would not be met without a change in leadership. This season is just getting started, and we have the opportunity to do uh, to really do something special with this team and this program. I'm confident that as our interim head coach, Dante Williams, gives us a higher probability for success the remainder of the season. Damn! That's brutal right there. It actually isn't 
didn't read as brutal for me the first time I uh, I read it, but I'm with you. He's not dancing around it at all. Every single sentence in here has has some sort of weight to it. But it, and it also the added resources alludes to you know your point you made earlier as to why Helton was potentially retained in 2019 because you're if you're Mike Bone, you're saying, hey, this guy has a sense of stability. Let's support him with the added resources. You do that. You bring in all these the, these new aspects with the with the new a, a head of head of the athletic department and, uh, and all those uh, all of Bone staff. Yet we haven't seen an instrumental change. So obviously Helton's out. But that Dante Williams gives us gives us a higher probability for success the remainder of the season. I think that speaks to the, the confidence they have in Dante. But I also think that is, that, that speaks to the awareness that Mike Bone has in that. If Clay's the head man, even if he is Mr. Nice Guy, that it just has a dark cloud that looms over the program that's not healthy for the players. And just listen to our post-game radio show. Every single caller was about firing Clay, firing Clay, firing Clay. That's not good for any athletic any athletic program when everyone's not pointing in the right direction and you have the fan base, you know, calling, uh, calling for your head coach's uh, neck, I guess you should say. Yeah, uh, one more statement, or a quote from his statement. Quote, I want to be exceptionally clear. Our university and its leadership are committed to winning national championships and restoring USC football to glory. This decision represents our next step toward that goal and what has been a thoughtful and strategic process to build a comprehensive football organization equivalent to the premier programs in the modern landscape. So, I, I, you know, I said that before. I think everything that they've done since they took over has been st- strategic. And I think that that's the statement was very strategic to deliver a message to the fans that, yes, we've heard you this whole time. And yes, we take this as seriously as you do. We want to win championships. And we realize and have concluded that we have a better chance to do that even this season without Clay Helton. And I, I think that it was intentional for them to be that blunt on the record to say, We've heard you for two years. We're not blind to what's to the situation or to your frustrations. We understand everything. We went through our process. We've made this decision. It was surprising to me. The tone sticks out to me in terms of it just being very matter-of-fact, very straightforward. I noticed that last night in Mike Bone's interview and that he was, you know, he had kind words for Helton and he was very appreciative, don't get me wrong, and spoke to his great working relationship with Clayton, but it was not a poor me or a, you know, not poor me, but just it wasn't a somber vibe versus when Coach Orgeron had the shot to be let go or be retained and there was a coaching change there, that mood felt very somber. With Mike Bone, it felt like there was an edge to it. He said, you know what, this is the standard. We're competing for championships. We're not there. I'm sorry, but 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 you're out and we got to move forward it kind of it kind of felt like that vibe a, a very forward looking uh and not ruthless because that, that that's too extreme but just like his message is saying right there that we have a certain standard here at sc everyone understands that standard and if we're not there then uh that everyone knows the deal and we got to move forward and we got to get championships I, I just think the his overall sentiment when he was sitting on stage last night was not a um just somber tone it was a very um, I'm excited about the about the future, and uh, hey, this is a very business like in terms of we got to get back to the standard that we uh, that, that we need to get to. And I thought that was refreshing because 
it was about winning first, winning first rather than anything else. And that's what SC fans want to get back to. Yeah, I would use the term no nonsense. And that's how I've seen him for a while. And I've had spirited debates on the message board with, with fans who who just say, oh, I, I know how USC operates. They're going to... Even if they do make a, a move, they're going to make a lazy hire, this, that. And I've, try, I've been beating the drum over and over again saying, this is not Lynn Swan. This is not Pat Hayden. This is a much different administration in, in the way they operate, in the way they evaluate, the way they think. And I couldn't get that point to resonate because there's been a lot of frustration within this fan base. And, and, and I get it all. I mean, it's I understand it. And it's, I guess it kind of numbed a lot of fans out to any optimism that things could or would be different, even with a new athletic director. I've learned a lot about the way they operate these last two years. I've had a lot of conversations with both Mike and Brandon. I think I have a pretty good sense for what drives them, how they think, how they tick. And I've been telling everyone, this is a different regime. They do very much want to win. They will not be content with the status quo if it doesn't change. And I think now people can see that. Yeah, I should have mentioned that when we were talking about stuff before and, and why not earlier. Remember, again, in 2020, I mentioned that it's be hard to fire a coach in the pandemic after a 5 and one season with recruiting the uptick. But also, think about the optics there when the university is taking massive financial hits. Uh, people across the state are taking massive financial hits. Everyone's struggling. The optics of paying a massive buyout to a football coach probably uh, didn't sit well with many people who would be involved in that decision ultimately. So just another thought to factor in there. From what I've heard, just from limited reaction, I've heard that, that the team was, was pretty surprised. Again, there really was no, aside from the loss of Stanford, there was no telltale sign that this was imminent. So I think I heard the team was surprised, but that they immediately went to practice and it looked like any other practice and there was no uh, hangover from it. But Max, the one of the great values of having you on this podcast is your experience as a player and this unique perspective you can offer. And you mentioned earlier that you've been through this process before with, with mid-season changes. Can you take us back to those those moments and, and what really stood out in those times and how it affected the team? I, I know there was very unique circumstances, especially in, uh, in Sark's case, that uh, don't really correlate to this situation. But still, it was a change mid-season, and all of a sudden, one day, you have a different coach. Yeah, unique to say the least. I'll start with 2013. 2013, after the the whole tarmac incident, um, that season, it felt like we were already underway uh, in, in many respects. And, and that one was difficult because you have guys pulling in different directions. That, that, that's something that, that sticks out to, to me right away in terms of, um, yes, or I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. The expectations for Kiffin and that regime were so high only like a year earlier. So the fact that your coach is getting fired um, at that point in 2013, I think a lot of guys were shocked. And at that point, you're still thinking about the, the Carroll days. Now that's not even discussed, the, the Pete Carroll days. But then it was. And it's, hey, man, we should be competing for national titles. And why aren't we there? So there's there was a frustration. But then there was an excitement moving forward because at that point you had a guy like Coach Orgeron who recruited a bunch of us there and everyone knows how much he's beloved with amongst his players. So at that point, it really was kind of a, a second second life, uh, so, so to speak. And so I think there was an, an excitement, but I'll never forget at the end of 
Coach Orgeron's coaching change there. Um, it's an it's an incredibly emotional time. Like I, I mentioned this on the, the radio show last night. I have empathy for these players because this nets out with every player so differently, right? You have sometimes you have your redshirt seniors who they might be looking towards the NFL, like as a result of this, they might be saying, "All right, season's over, looking towards the NFL," or they might be heartbroken because they have their entire college career all they know is Clay Helton. They might feel like they have, you know failed Clay Helton in some respect and the fact that he was so nice to them and maybe they, they feel like there's a little bit of burden on them. That's not as much the case, but I know that was that was the case when, when Orgeron uh, was not retained. That certainly was felt throughout the, throughout the locker room. And then you also have younger guys who, you know, all they know is is, is Clay Helton and, and their college football world is getting shocked, right? They were five, four or five-star recruits in, the, in their living rooms only – six months ago type of thing and here they are having a coaching change this isn't what they signed up for and so it's easy to start thinking about potentially transferring and, and go down more of a selfish route and so you have to be very wary of, of guys pulling in, in different directions in 2015 when we had our sark dealio I'll, I'll call that i think it's relatable to this scenario only in the sense that it was a pure it was it was a shock when it happened we walked in a Sunday morning after the loss to UW, no one was thinking that our head coach was going to get fired that day. Obviously, everyone knows the story. Sark uh, shows up drunk, and, and and the rest is the rest is history. And it, and it was a shock to everyone. Just like I feel like this, the timing was a shock to, to most, I would say. And so, at that point, back in the day in 2015, it was a relief, I think, because you you got, you got the sense that the the distraction was behind us. And not that Clay was a distraction himself, but I do think the narrative of fire Clay, fire Clay, fire Clay amongst the fan base as the season progressed, that was going to be a distraction. And so credit Mike Bone for, you know, ripping the Band-Aid off now and not allowing it to be a distraction. But I think high level in both those incidences, I think it can be a rallying call for your team. It can be you can it can be a chip on your shoulder and allows you to in a weird way, start zero and zero right now. And you have a fresh season ahead of you. And that's what's so unique about this time is you still have so many, so much games ahead of you that I think you can convince yourself that, all right, now we're starting fresh. Let's see how many we can rattle off. And uh, in both scenarios in 2013 and 2015, we had successful back ends of the season. We did some good things. We had some success and the, the talent was on display. And there's a reason that Clay Health was retained after that 2015 season because there was some positive energy and positive buzz that was uh, kind of juiced into the program as a result of making that change. I have to ask you, it came to light last night, Monday night, and all the reactions on Twitter from Clay's players and, and coaches that he was nicknamed Big Horse. How did we not know this until this point, and were you aware of this? Oh, yeah, I was aware. That started day one with, with Clay Held. He just calls everyone Big Horse, so... Whatever, if, if your term is my guy or stud or beast or whatever your word is, Clay's is big horse. And so for SC fans that don't know, my first call ever with anyone related to USC was back in 2010 or 2011. And I remember I 
knew I had a, a call with the quarterback coach, Clay Helton, from SC. I was like, all right, I, well, we'll see how this guy is. And he had a big southern accent. And I was like, what? This is USC. This isn't Tennessee. Little did I know that he was moving from the south. And uh, that, that whole big horse vibe, the, 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 the southern, you know, I don't know if it's a southern thing or if it's just Clay Helton, but that little twang, whenever he says big horse, it kind of, uh, the, the 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 West Coast is, is is no more in Clay Helton. It's that little Southern Southern vibe for him, and that was just his saying that he used in every aspect, talking to every player and every coach. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea that that was a thing until last night, but that makes total sense. I can definitely see that knowing him as I do. Max, just uh, to close the book on Clay Helton, and I've never really asked you in this way because you were still working Trojans Live and the and the post-game shows and you were talking to Clay but now that it's done and you look back in, in your time with him did you ever feel like he was going to be capable of getting USC back to the top did you think he was a championship caliber coach in, tw- in the fall of 2015 and the offseason in 2016 yeah you better believe it uh, that that's why he got that job once again. I mean, circle back uh, at that point. It wasn't like they just said, "Oh, we can't get anyone. Let's give it to Clay Hilton." No, that wasn't the case at all. It was you had a locker room that was rallied behind this guy, and you had a coach that was an ultimate players' coach. He had a, he made it a point of having a relationship with every guy. So it's a good question, Ryan. But without a doubt, uh, and then obviously the Alabama game happened in 2016, and it fell to SC because he was. He didn't have the flash that a, that a Sark or a Kiffin had that ended up being a little bit of, a little bit you know problematic there during their tenors at some point. And his consistency, the relationships he had with everyone on that team, his, he always sensed that he cared. Later, obviously, uh, as the games rolled out, that that went, that went by the wayside. But uh, early on, you better believe he had the buy-in from uh, from everyone. I think athletic department too. He could get it done. All right, well, certainly a conclusion was made that ultimately that wasn't the case, and we move on. Let's look forward. Let's talk about Dante Williams as the interim head coach, and it shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody that he was the one named that in that position as he was he had the associate head coach title. So, yeah, he wasn't a coordinator, but he had that title, so it's a logical choice. It's also, I think, a good statement for recruiting as you know, everyone knows Dante Williams is USC's ace recruiter and is the point person for many of their top commits and targets. And it's a strong statement. As they try and keep this recruiting class together and build upon it, despite the uncertainty of not knowing who the head coach will be, I think it was the right choice. I am interested, and and we'll get to ask this this week, but what's the dynamic you think with Tyler Orlando, who is now working for Dante Williams when he, I guess, technically was – his boss two days ago. Uh, any thoughts on how, on how that plays out? Right when you asked that, I circle back to when Coach Orgeron was named the head coach, and at that time he was the defensive line coach. And from my view at that point, there's so many items on Dante Williams's plate now that he did not have to worry about. That I think he's all that the, the mindset is going to be. Like, Todd, just just do you. Do what we've coached. Graham, do you. Like, you trust your coordinators because there's so much new uh, new items on your plate that I don't even think you're you're getting to the point at this stage where you're making ground groundbreaking changes schematically in players. I, I don't think it happens. That might be what, 
what uh, certain SC fans want. But Dante Williams, I saw him tweet at whatever it was, like 12.30 last night. For the, he's probably he, he's behind eight ball this week. So I, I wouldn't expect, per se, groundbreaking changes. But you better believe he'll be involved in some capacity. And all these coaches, uh, coaches know that they're still being evaluated, whether it's by SC or, by, or whether it's for their next job. And if they can find success the remainder of this year, one, that helps their case and potentially being retained here. But then, two, they know the deal. It only helps with, with, with finding their next job. So in terms of buy-in or commitment, not, the, not that we were worried about that per se, but I have, uh, I have no concerns there. See, like, like I mentioned before, you were on Trojans Live last night. You, you talked to Dante. What just struck you from the conversation you all had with him last night, and, and what was your, your main takeaway? Main takeaway, I, I was glad he alluded to his recruiting background and how that helps him manage this team. One thing that's always a question for me when you have an interim head coach is what kind of relationship do they have with the players on the team? I mean, I, I circle back to, to my time at SC. I was a captain at SC. I was a guy that you know was in the office a bunch, but I didn't have a great relationship with every single coach on the staff, some more than others. Even a guy, I mean, um, yeah, and so I, the, his point about bringing up recruiting, uh, he referenced that the fact that he's been in many of these players, whether you're an offensive lineman or you're a corner or whatever, he's been in their living rooms. He's recruited them. He's been on the phone with them. He knows their families. And I think that relationship goes a long way because you're not starting from squares from ground zero. You're not trying to build something new that wasn't there. And that uh, the, the relationship and the pulse that he has on the team from only being the defensive backs coach because of his recruiting background, I think is, is a big deal. Uh, I loved his juice and, and his message about going one and zero every single day. I thought that was healthy, and uh, he didn't dance around it when he said, "Hey, what needs to be fixed?" And it's all the dumb mistakes. And so I think it's going to be much more of a uh, probably intense vibe and feeling than maybe uh, Clay had during his time there. And uh, Dante Williams, I mean, is it what an opportunity it is for him? Whether that is staying on with SC or if that's getting the next head coaching job somewhere, or if that's getting a coordinator job somewhere, he's a hot name, and what an opportunity it is for him. But uh, I think think it was uh, the the right choice, and I think it's interesting as well. uh, Mike Bone, one of the last sentences uh, of Mike Bone's uh, announcement is, I'm optimistic that that we are better positioned right now than we've ever been at any other time in the past decade to recruit the best and right leader for us, which makes me think, I don't know if you meant to say this, but they probably have the mindset that it's going to be an outside hire. Don't really think Dante Williams, if they're being honest, is true, 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 true top of mind. But hey, Williams has every opportunity to uh, to prove him differently. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and in that regard, it is maybe a little risky making him the interim head coach because if he does really well and they don't retain him, maybe he's now a more appealing target for a coordinator or head coaching job elsewhere, and and you lose him. I I, I can tell you for a fact that they very much want to hope to expect to keep Dante Williams in the fold next year in uh, whatever that is, if, if it's not uh, giving him the permanent job. And, and I'm with you. I, I do think that the intent is probably to make an outside hire. They would certainly still want Dante Williams on staff, and I think any coach in the country would want Dante Williams on their staff. He's one of the best recruiters in the country. He's received National Recruiter of the Year awards, 
and there's no coach anywhere that wouldn't want that. So, And keep in mind, I remember that same phrase was used with Orgeron back in the day when Sark got hired. Orgeron, I believe, was offered the defense line coach position. But at that point, he said, man, I'm used to being a head coach. I'm not going to then take a step back and take a lesser role. So when I hear you say that in terms of them keeping Dante on staff, totally get it. But assuming Dante has some level of success here that's going to be hard to you know have a guy who once was a head coach for 10 games of the season at least to then drop back into a even if it is associate head coach role even if it is i mean maybe defensive coordinator could suffice that but i remember that same phrase with you was used with orgeron and at that point that the mindset has changed where he's saying man i kind of like this head coach thing and i don't want to feel like i got you know, put him put in the back seat again uh, with a, with a new head coach coming in. So, little 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 hesitant there with how that how that uh, plays out two months from now. Oh, you you're totally right. It's a very fair point. Everything had changed both in terms of the outside perception and value of Dante on the coaching market, and both his his own perspective and view. If depending on how things go. You're absolutely right. It's not a done deal that he's back next year uh, for any number of reasons, but I know that that's their hope. And if there is an example of this kind of situation playing out in that way, ironically, it would be Luke Fickle, who was a name we'll get to in a second, when he was the interim head coach at Ohio State, didn't have great success in that role. Urban Meyer comes in and keeps Luke Fickle on staff because he was very popular with the players, a good recruiter, and you don't always see that, but that's one example of that happening where things function fun and Fickle remain there for, for quite a while. In general, I normally am of the mind of if you're making a change, clean house, the new coach has to bring in his guys. There's usually more harm than good in having holdovers. There are a few exceptions, and I think Dante is definitely one. Another one is another guy I'll, we'll get to on this list. When I was at the University of Maryland, they hired Ralph Friedgen in 2001. The only coach he kept was James Franklin, uh, who proved to be a very valuable recruiter for them and, and a good asset for him and obviously has gone on to great heights as a head coach. So it does happen, and certainly USC fans will hope that whoever the head coach is in December, that Dante is still a part of that staff. Before we get to the the search and the candidates, just last thing on Dante, what is your expectation for the rest of the season now with him in charge? And and I'll start off with just my own thoughts. The players really like him. Okay, there's a reason he's a good recruiter. He has really genuine relationships with a lot of those guys, like we mentioned. And for that reason, I don't think that the season is gonna go off a cliff because. It's been disrupted in this way. I think this team is going to rally around him. And I actually totally agree with Mike Bone's statement that they have a higher ceiling with Dante Williams the rest of the season than they would have otherwise. I'm right with you. And look no further than the examples we've already talked about, 2013 and 2015. It really was a rallying call. And it allowed guys to to band together. Obviously, the circumstances were different. It feels like guys are more... Uh, I have a, have a better relationship with Helton, so there could be some, some more sad guys. But, uh, yeah, I, I, right now it's uh, a, a fresh energy is, is, is injected into the program. So I'm right with you. I think the, the expectation that SC could bounce back and compete for 
Pac-12 South would start there. Uh, I don't think that's out of the equation at all. Obviously, they have a long ways to go with their performance versus Stanford, which we haven't even touched on because there was uh, bigger bigger news in the, in the media. But I'm right with you. This is a, a talented team, and, and Dante alluded to that. And They should be uh, competing, and I'm sure they'll be projected to win in most of their games moving forward. Yeah, I mean, trust me, I, Sunday afternoon I was already putting thoughts together for the podcast and we were going to have a very uh, spirited conversation about that loss to Stanford, but that just seems kind of moot at this point and we'll just give them a full reset and see how they do at Washington State this week with Dante because people are certainly more interested in looking forward than backward right now because they, they finally have a chance to. Uh, it really is an exciting time for the program and what fans have wanted for years. And they have it now. And let me just caution this, though. I mean, this is going to be a long process. We're not going to know in a week or two weeks or a month or probably two months who the coach is. And just because that doesn't happen in that time doesn't mean that things have stalled or or it's not progressing well. You know, if, if they want to hire a coach who has an active job right now, that's not going to happen until December. If they want to hire a guy like Bob Stoops, then that could happen earlier. But... They have the luxury of using all this time to vet, and that's what's going to happen. I, I covered when I covered Florida, and they fired Jim McElwain in October of the 2017 season. Fan base got very restless when there hadn't been any major developments over the next month or so, and it was the same deal. Like it's going to happen in, in December. They end up hiring Dan Mullen, like three days after the season. So they moved quickly, which, you know, indicated that they, they had already kind of done some back channeling with him and, and kind of knew where things stood. And that expect that to be the case here. There, there will be back channeling. It won't be acknowledged, but that's the way this works. Coaches, agents will reach out, have already started reaching out to USC saying, Hey, my guy who's the head coach at X school uh, is interested in USC. What's your interest level? And the ball gets rolling a little bit. So even with sitting head coaches, you don't have to wait until December to do your due diligence. But you may have to wait to do a formal interview. But they will be evaluating a slew of candidates. And there will be so much misinformation put out there that I would just caution everyone not to believe everything you see on Twitter. In fact, I posted on the board that Monday night there were already two reports that I know to be erroneous and factually incorrect. One was that Art Bryles was a leading candidate, and I can tell you right now, he is not at all a candidate. He will not even get a consideration. So you wonder where this stuff comes from. Another report was that Luke Fickle uh, has been offered the job, and it's his to turn down. You can choose to believe me or trust me or, or not. It's fine, but I'm very confident that that is not the case at this point. Might it be the case down the road? Sure, but I'm very confident it's not the case at this point. Uh, they are going to do a full national search. I think they're excited to see what options come out of the woodwork, what coaches express interest, what coaches they identify as great targets that they want to look closer into. This is just getting started. Be careful to not believe everything you see out there in the Twitterverse. There will be a lot of misinformation. There will be some good reports out there, sure. But bear in mind, a lot of that's going to come from the agents because I don't see Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna leaking a lot of information. Again, go back to how they handled the Clay Helton firing. It's so rare these days that that story is not broken 
by a Pete Thamel or a Bruce Feldman or a national reporter who gets the tip off. That's just the way that things go in this business. And it didn't happen. They broke the news themselves. So that's how they want to handle things. It was a major point of pride for them that it played out that way. They went to great lengths to make sure it played out that way. And I would assume the same with, with this head coaching search. I don't think that they're going to be leaking stuff to the national guys. So a lot of what comes out, or the local guys like us, so a lot of what comes out is going to be via agents, and agents have agendas. James Franklin's agent may drop a line to one of the national reporters and say, hey, USC's made an offer to, to my guy, and he's, he's considering it. And that may not at all be true. But then the agent can go to Penn State and say, see this report uh, that Franklin has an offer from USC? He wants to stay here, but he's going to need a raise to do it. That's, that's the way the game works. So just factor that in mind with the information. Uh, I think it will be a pretty tight circle of information at USC. I don't know who all is going to be involved, but I would honestly be surprised if it's anyone other than Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna who are privy to all the details. So take that for what you will. I like how you made reference to the two-headed decision-making tree, I'll call it, with Bone and Sosna, because I know back when... With the last time we had a full search like this, or two times ago, when when Kevin got let go, and um, they were had had a f- multiple months during the season to assess the coaching situation, there was like four or five associate ads that all took. I think it was like two head coaches or one or two head coaches, and and it was their responsibility to fully vet. They kind of had like their guy, so to speak, to to try to give a full evaluated decision. But if there's only two guys, and Brandon and and, uh, and Mike, I'm curious how they will operate this coaching decision evaluation. Obviously, they'll be hands-on with every single aspect, but it just reminds me, it just, right away when you said that, it, it just, it, the, the layout is different. So, curious how they'll, how they'll handle that. Yeah, I mean, they've done it before at Cincinnati, where they hired Luke Fickle, who's obviously a name that would be on this list. Um I think I was told that they did not use a search firm back then. They really just did everything in-house, and they had the time to do it. So uh, I think it'll just it'll be them having a lot of internal discussions, uh, talking to a lot of agents, and, and sharing their thoughts. But let's go over some of the names on, that are going to be on the list. We posted our, our hot board for coaching candidates on Tuesday morning. I have Luke Fickle right at the top. It doesn't mean that I think that he's going to be the one hired. I just think he's the most logical name. Let me clarify, I, I don't know who's going to be hired, so I'm not saying that he's uh, the clear favorite. Just to me, he's the most logical name. Given that he's really built his stock up the last few years at Cincinnati, he's one of the top group of five coaches. He's a guy who's definitely in line for a promotion to a larger school if he so desires. And Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna hired him at Cincinnati. So there's a relationship there. I know there's still in contact uh just you know in terms of you know friends and 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 that relationship not in terms of this job uh so definitely one to watch other names that come up bill o'brien interestingly is getting a lot of buzz the alabama first year oc who was obviously the former houston texans and penn state coach and is now going to come out of Alabama with the next save and shine this year because anyone who puts that headset on as the OC there gets credit for uh, the success of that machine, which seems to work no matter who's in charge. But that's an interesting one. I don't know if that's my favorite candidate of the bunch, but it's getting buzz. 
You know, people want to ask about Mario Cristobal of Oregon. Could USC poach Mario Cristobal, the best coach in the conference? I don't think it's going to happen. He has a $9 million buyout that goes down to $6.25 million in January, but you can't wait till January. And that's a lot of money. He's also already making $4.5 million there, so you'd have to give him a big raise and pay that buyout, and you're paying Helton's buyout. I don't see it happening. Whether he would want it or not, if all things were were even and those factors weren't in play, I don't even know that either. So I don't see that happening. Uh, James Franklin, I mentioned earlier from Penn State, always gets linked to every job. I think that's the work of his agent who then leverages that to get him extensions and raises at Penn State. I don't know how serious he is about leaving there, but he's intriguing enough for USC to take a look at. Um, Tony Elliott is a name that's on our hot board. He's the OC at Clemson. He was born in Southern California, but he's spent his entire coaching career in the state of South Carolina, has been an OC there or co-OC for the last five years or so. Obviously, a lot of success for that program, that offense. He's won the Broyles Award as a top national assistant and certainly a guy who will be on a lot of coaching lists around the country. Uh, but with his you know, origin in California, maybe a guy that is it makes sense here. I don't know if they want to hire a first-time head coach, but if they're going to look that way, he's probably the top candidate. Uh, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota is another guy. Uh, he's a Midwestern guy. He's always been in the Midwest, played college in the Midwest, his coach there. Hard to say if he wants to leave. Same deal with Matt Campbell, who would be my choice if everyone was on the table at Iowa State. He's just worked wonders there in terms of taking a moribund, irrelevant program and making them nationally relevant, nationally ranked. And it's one of the great turnaround stories in recent college football history. He's certainly a guy that any program, you know, the higher head coach would take a look at. But same deal. He's been in the Midwest his whole life, coached Toledo before he was at Iowa State. Not sure if he thinks his next move is on the West Coast. So those are some of the names at the top of my list. Max, anything percolate to mind for you just as you've – seen the reports come out and everyone's had their list. Anything jump out to you? Yeah, two names are front of mind for me. The only name you didn't mention that is obviously an attractive one is, is Chris Peterson and, and not sure where things stand for him. I know he's a Northwest guy nowadays, but he's also, I would argue, a West Coast guy. And just looking at it from a, a bird's eye view, he's only 56 years old. He retired. He's been out of football now for 18 months, going on two years. If he has that bug, as we all know, head coaches do, right? You're a head coach for a reason. You have that football bug. Uh, the, the, the timing could be weirdly right if he was looking to get back in the game like an Urban Meyer was type of thing. We take take a few years off and the, the bug is back and, and, and you get back in the fold. I know the big counter with Chris Peterson is, hey, he had a shot at the SC job or Maybe some would argue the, the favorite for the SC job back in 2015. The report that I heard is the athletic department wouldn't give him full control, the, the Chris Peterson level of control that he wanted. Well, now his pedigree has been elevated since he's been at Washington and made a playoff playoff run that maybe Mike Bone would be more receptive to just giving him 100% of the reins. Not sure there, but that, that, that's my favorite candidate of all the ones that are any sort have any sort of rumor. And then... This is the obvious one, but I think it's important to double down on why it's obvious. And, and Luke Fickle, just with the Cincinnati ties. And when you look over the college football landscape, like if you're Luke Fickle, there's only half a dozen 
I'll call blue blood college football jobs. And SC is one of them. So if you're Luke Fickle and you're ready to make a jump, like there's only so many teams out there. Nick Saban has Alabama on lock down there. Lincoln Riley at, at Oklahoma. I mean, there's only so many jobs. If he's making, if he's looking to make that jump, it, it feels like it could make sense on, on both uh, accounts, both SC wise and Luke Fickle wise, even though he's maybe not necessarily a West Coast guy. Both those names are, are, are front of mind for me. Yeah, I mean, I think Fickle makes so much sense. Um, we just don't know what his interest is in, in relocating across the country. But uh, Peterson was on my list initially, and then Bruce Feldman tweeted out that Peterson is not looking to get back in the game at this point. And I, I don't know, you know, how good that sourcing is. I'm, I normally, you know, trust Bruce's reports, so maybe he's not looking to to dive back in after he chose to step down at Washington. Also, you mentioned that he was a candidate before. You know, one of the stories that came out, I think from Yahoo, the uh, retrospective on that was that both sides felt it maybe wasn't a great fit in terms of the media and donor uh, glad-handing responsibilities that maybe are not Peterson's forte if you're going to be in a media market like this. so But, it, I mean, obviously, if you can get a Chris Peterson, you have a proven winner, and that's really what USC should be looking for. And I guess Bob Stoops is the name I didn't mention. I mentioned him earlier. Obviously did great things at Oklahoma, won a national championship. Clearly wants to get back into coaching. He coached in the XFL during his short return, so a name to keep in mind. But we will be back talking about this, I'm sure, every week to some degree. But we'll also get back to talking about football next week as we'll have Max back on to break down the Washington State game and look ahead to the next game, Oregon State, as we get back into a normal podcast structure. But great perspective today, Max. Enjoyed having you on. I appreciate it, Ryan. Keep, uh, for those of you guys that don't know, Ryan was up up late on, on campus uh, last night, grinding away, always trying to get us the, uh, the best story. So crushing it as always and uh, another fun podcast. Appreciate that. All right. We'll see you next week. Okay, let's welcome into the show Rivals National Recruiting Director, Adam Gorney. Adam, how are you? Great, Ryan. How are you? Tired. I am very tired. Very, very tired. I had a few hours of sleep last night. While I was busy reacting to the news of the day, you were helping us track down reaction from USC commits. Some interesting stuff. Let's start with Damani Jackson first. and He posted on our Trojan Talk board that you think if Dante Williams stays in the fold at USC, so will Damani Jackson. Just kind of expound upon uh, that if he could for us. Yeah, I think Damani really liked Clay Helton. I think they had a great relationship. I think he respected him as a person. I think all those things are tough for him to kind of deal with, you know, right now and in the midst of this happening. But as this, as time goes on, as, as USC kind of zeroes in on a new coach and a new vision and hope that, you know, things can turn into championships again there, um, I think Damani will be fine, uh, with the caveat being that Dante Williams stays on staff. Those two have been close, like, friends for years, super close. I think they have an outstanding relationship. I think Damani wants to play for Dante. I think that is going to be a massive factor in terms of what he does. Damani wants to play at USC. Um, It necessarily wasn't the dream school Michigan was, but it was a school since he's lived in California that he's always wanted to go to. The dream was always to play at USC with a lot of his friends and those kinds of things. I think Corey Foreman being on the roster now helps. They train at the same place. So um, I think all those factors are, are playing in USC's favor. If Dante is not retained, um, 
then things get a little dicier uh, because Michigan and Alabama are not giving up on him. Yeah, I, I share your read, and, and I will just reiterate that he was very close with Clay Helton. And I remember talking to him after his commitment, uh, just about you know, some of the factors that led to it. And he and he said, and I quote, "You know, I, I know a lot of people talk bad about Clay Helton, but that's my favorite coach." Yeah, the thing about Damani is once you get to know him a little bit, he really appreciates like the genuine article, and so he can really spot the BS coaches, the guys that promise him he's going to start from day one and and give him the really hard recruiting sell and he does not like that and so you know i think clay in many ways you know for all of his faults as a person as someone who went in and recruited he was you know the genuine guy what you saw is what you got and damani really really appreciated that so the two hit it off i think that was really important and is going to be tough for him to swallow so um, that you know, that's why Michigan is still very much involved. I think he kind of has the same feel with Harbaugh, and especially the former NFL coaches on that staff. He definitely has that feeling with Nick Saban in Alabama. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting moving forward. Um, I, I would, I would, I said on another um, call that I wouldn't be shocked if he stays committed to USC throughout this. But I wouldn't be necessarily all that surprised if Michigan can pull him. I would say it's like 80-20 USC right now. We'll see who the hire is and how that all goes. Um, that's going to be a big factor in this. Um, you know, I've said before, recruiting is like 365, four days of maintenance and one day of just complete, you know, and, and utter sheer change and everybody goes everywhere and everything gets figured out late. So. There, there are some good reasons. There are some good things to think about recruiting-wise. Now that a new regime is coming in, a lot of times people think that's just complete and utter devastation. Um, it really isn't. Uh, you know, it has been no secret to any of these recruits that Clay Hilton's been on the hot seat. He's now gone, and so n- at least these 2022 kids have an understanding that they'll almost certainly be only playing for one coach for their entire college careers now. Yeah, I want to get more into that big picture stuff. But just to close the book on Damani, I've said this earlier in the podcast, I do know that USC uh, truly wants to keep Dante Williams on staff, no matter who was hired as head coach. And the thinking is that any coach who would come in would also very much want to have Dante Williams on staff. Uh, it gets a little tricky if with this interim run. If he is very successful in the interim run and doesn't get the job, maybe he then feels differently about taking a demotion, but I think he wants to be in Los Angeles. They want him here, and I would put my faith in him closing the deal with Damani Jackson. But just my last question on that is, it sounds like you think Michigan is the much bigger threat than Alabama at this point? Yeah, I do. Uh, he was at Michigan again this past weekend. He was there with his friend Will Johnson. You know, There has been some reporting that he and Will Johnson had basically the big house to themselves to have a conversation and Will Johnston was giving him the hard sell about, you know, the vision of them playing together uh, across from each other. And, and that is tough to turn down. I mean, that is an incredible venue. You know, they've beaten Western Michigan and, and a bad Washington team. So it's not exactly like Michigan's back as a national contender yet. And Damani knows that. It, that was the dream school growing up. His dad really lo- has loved Michigan um, for his entire life. So there are definitely factors in play here for Michigan. Um, but also, Damani's had numerous opportunities to go there. I mean, before he committed to USC, he could have gone to Michigan. 
Uh, he could have flipped this weekend. He didn't. He could have. He could have decommitted from USC after Clay was fired immediately. He didn't. And so, I, I just get the feeling that like if USC wasn't in the picture, if things had com- had completely fallen apart, there would have been no question that he would go to Michigan. But I still think he wants to stay in Southern California. I think he definitely he definitely wants to play for Dante, and so it's just going to be a tough thing for Michigan to pull him. So I still think USC is is in pretty good shape. Good deal. Another guy you talked to Monday was uh, Devin Brown, USC's 2022 quarterback commit, and a guy whose stock just really went through the roof this summer. And I think there was already some quiet tension. Uh, within the building that, man, uh, can we keep him now with everyone coming after him? And we just signed two quarterbacks ahead of him. What was your takeaway from your talk with Devin Brown? Yeah, this this is a little bit uh, uh, probably more interesting in terms of where this goes. Um, he really, really likes Graham Harrell a whole lot. And I just don't know if a new coaching staff is going to come in and keep the offensive coordinator um yeah. and, you know and so so that's going to be interesting if if they bring in if the new staff whether whoever it is you know luke fickle or whoever um comes in and changes completely changes the offense um then i think you have a little bit of trouble on your hands because devin brown wants to play in graham harrell's offense or some iteration of it so I, I do think that, you know, schools have definitely reached out already to Devin Brown. They're trying to flip him. They're trying to get him on visits. But he's also a guy that really, you know, always wanted to be like that USC quarterback, big name guy that has come through the program over the years. And I think that still has a significant pull on what he's going to do in the long run. The only thing is with quarterbacks is you have to be very careful um, and, and you get into a little bit of a thing here because if if the coach that's hired um, is not running the offense that he wants to run, then you know he might, then he would choose sort of his future you know playing style over the school that he's always wanted to play for. The tricky part here is you know you might not have a coach in place for months. Yeah. Um, you know so. So Devin Brown has to really kind of feel this out and see, you know, who are the leading contenders, who who's going to be hired, how that's all going to play out. Um, because by December, these other schools are going to have to figure out their quarterback situations as well. I don't know if they're all going to wait for Devin Brown. So they're going to try now to flip him, try to get him to visit, try to convince him that, you know, things are changing at USC and all those kinds of things. Um but he's not naming names of schools that are reaching out. So it's a little hard to know which ones are really, really all that interested. For sure. Uh, we, we knew early on earlier that Arizona was making a big push for him over the summer. They were calling every day. So I'm sure that hasn't stopped, but yeah, definitely one to monitor. And yeah, we have updates on a few more guys on our Trojan talk message board. You can go on there and read all the stuff that Adam and our other rivals analysts were able to uh, collect yesterday. But let me just ask you with the, USC's commits in general. Is there anyone else that you're particularly concerned about, or or think would be a major risk that to exit this class at this point? Yeah, the 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 good thing that USC had is that pretty much everyone committed 
with the understanding that this was a possibility, <laughs> you know, like yeah. no one, <clears throat> no one committed, you know, thinking that Clay Helton's job status was completely secure for the entire time that they were there. So, um, I, the, the one I would watch clearly would be Michael Williams. Yeah. Um, he committed over the summer. I don't want to say on a whim, but he certainly, you know, it was a tad surprising that he had committed after that visit. Absolutely loved it. Um, it looked like Kristen Miller was going to follow him. It, he didn't. Georgia continues to go after Michael Williams. So does Georgia Tech. So does Kentucky. So does, you know, a, a few other schools in the Southeast. And now with the uncertainty of not having a coach in place, you know, living 2,000 miles away, that becomes more difficult. So we will see how that plays out. He's also been quiet over the last, you know, 12 hours or so, which sometimes could be a concerning thing that he's he hasn't come out and been like, no, I'm committed to USC, I'm going to USC, yeah. all of those things. So I think he's kind of monitoring the situation just like everyone else. The only problem is he lives in the heart of SEC country and those schools are going to try to flip him as much as humanly possible over the next couple months. For sure. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, th- this could be a good thing for USC recruiting and that the reality was that schools were using the Clay Helton cloud of uncertainty uh, against USC aggressively in recruiting battles, and it was having an adverse effect on many of their efforts. And I just know that to be the case, and so that's lifted. It doesn't help that you, you can't point to – who the next head coach is yet, but eventually you will, and eventually you can point to some stability. Uh, what do you think this all means for some of their other top targets, guys like Zion Branch, Ernest Green, Javante Barnes, uh, that whole collection? Yeah, it's. It, I, I think it's going to be an uncertain few months until someone is named. Um, there's just no way around that, really. So, you know, but the good thing is, is that once someone is named, people still want to play at USC and that's going to be good in the sense that there is definitely a new vision. There's definitely new hope that this could be the coach that turns the program back into a college football playoff contender. And so that's going to be the the real selling point over the next few months. It could be tough sledding. It could be not a lot of real recruiting news coming out as everybody plays wait and see. Um, but I do think that, you know, Zion Branch is pretty much USC, Ohio State. So we'll see how that plays out. Ernest Green, I think the ship has sailed on him. He's either Ohio State or Georgia at this point, I would say. Um, Javante Barnes, I think, is willing to wait to see how this all plays out. So, you know, once that happens, not only 2022s, but even into 2023, and by that time, some 2024 kids will once again get excited. I think, you know, once a hire happens, a junior day will happen probably a month later. There could be 50, 75 kids all very excited about the future of USC's program there. So it's tough now. It's uncertain. It's unclear what's going to happen. But, you know, there's someone someone new coming in. You know, USC fans, I don't think it's any secret, you know, respected Clay Helton as a person for years, didn't want him as their coach. <laughs> and so... They're, they got their wish, and so um, the new guy will have, um, <clears throat> you know, full reign to go into Southern California and, and make this program what he what he expects it to be. Great stuff, Adam. We always appreciate your time, your perspective, and your expertise. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Okay, see ya.
Okay, our last guest of the day is one you're getting to know pretty well on the show. He's making his third appearance, and the the metrics, the analytics, just dictate that the listeners want more Antonio Morales of the Athletic. Antonio, how's it going? Wow, it's, that's good to hear, man. It's going well. A little tired, a little sleep, uh, sleep deprived after these past couple of days, but uh, doing okay. Man, you're telling me I got three and a half hours Monday night, and I'm feeling it. But uh, this is the news that USC fans were waiting for for years, and so we have to be all over it. And you were. Uh, did some very intrepid reporting yesterday, kind of retracing the downfall of the Clay Helton era, talking to some former staffers, uh, parents of recruits, and just a range of perspectives. And I encourage everyone to go and read your story on The Athletic about that. Uh, just in general, what was your overall takeaway after you kind of got all that feedback and, and perspective from people you talked to? Uh, I, I think we could kind of see it, just the way this team played over the years and seeing uh, the, the mistakes that kept getting made over and over again and you know, hearing about some of the former staff and, and the way things were. I just never got the sense there was accountability uh, in the program and that's how the same mistakes keep getting made and the same people get, get allowed to do stuff like not recruit and uh, those things have consequences and I think uh, people said it, Clay's, Clay's really nice and um, I, I think some people took advantage of that and um, I think that's that's the main thing that kind of stood out to me when um, talking to people yesterday just about how how things fell apart for him. Was, was there one story or anecdote that just really piqued your interest and surprised you in any way? Um, not really, just a collection of things and, you know, maybe like, um, I, I used one about Clancy Pendergast just walking off the field within like five minutes of a recruiting camp finishing the other um, two or three years ago. There's just other stuff like, you know, maybe a player could practice but he'd go to Clay Hill and say he wasn't feeling good and then Clay said oh, they don't have to practice and he went and told the position coach um, so um, there's just stuff like that and um, it, it's just more of a collection of things as opposed to as opposed to just one overall thing yeah and, and like you said I think it's all stuff that that we largely knew but it's interesting to to hear uh, people speak candidly about it from the inside and I, I, I had been told um, in the not too distant past that you know, Clay's loyalty to former coaches uh, really, really set him back and hurt him. And that if he were to get fired, that would be one of the main reasons because of the recruiting toll that took place there in, in 2019, 2020 classes. And a lot of that attributed to former staffers that he was just very loyal to. And those are spots that could be impacting this roster right now and, and just aren't because they reached for a lot of guys. They missed on a lot of guys. And if he had made moves sooner to cut ties with a Johnny Nansen, for instance, or Clancy Pendergast or Ronnie Bradford, who you mentioned in your story, maybe the talent's different. But I don't know if the end result would be different because the issues weren't about talent in the long run. Uh, I think it's the general conclusion. Yeah, um, and that's what people said too. You could put any coach in there, and the results would be the same. Just Clay's really nice, but at the end of the day, the the players there's no repercussions for for mistakes, and it doesn't matter who the assistant coach is. As as we've seen 
over the past couple of years, the, the assistant coaches change, uh, uh, the strength and conditioning staff changes, and everything around Clay changes, but the results stay the same. The on-field product r- remained not good enough. Yeah. And um, so it was hard for the, the assistants to overcome that. So walking out of the Coliseum on Saturday, I think we were all of the same mindset that that was the end of the Clay Helton era. I don't know that we necessarily thought that it was going to come within two days. To, to what degree were you surprised that the news and the decision came so quickly? Yeah, I think this, the timing was the most surprising part of all, just because, I don't know about you, but when Clay's talking to us on Sunday night, over yep. the Zoom call, I'm like, "All right, he's safe for the week." Yep, <laughs> and and he's gonna be okay because they wouldn't trot him out there if he wasn't gonna coach. Um, they wouldn't let him talk to us. So that's kind of my thought process. So I thought, okay, he's safe. And then on Monday, I checked in with some people, and they're like, "Oh, staff meetings, everything's normal." <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Okay, uh, just another reason to think he's safe." And then a couple hours later, uh, they announced he's he's fired. But we talked about it during the game on Saturday. It's just we knew that was the end. Like it might not have happened this week. It might have happened two or three weeks later. But that was the day he he was finished and he couldn't bounce back from. And it was just a matter of when it was going to happen, not if. Um, but he was done at that point. I think I think the atmosphere in the Coliseum was too toxic to to replicate. And try to run back, try to try to run him out there again on the 25th. With fans, you know, booing the players and Clay getting booed, and most of the stadium empty by the end of the third quarter. I don't think USC could have risked risked that atmosphere again, especially when it was a lively atmosphere to start the game and everybody seemed excited. Um, and I think we all realized at the end of the game, and you know, this was going to be the end, even if it wasn't officially the end yeah absolutely the sentiments and so now we move forward and i thought the line that jumped out from mike bone's statement monday was him saying that and i don't have it in front of me now i referenced it earlier in the show that he he feels that dante williams gives them a better chance to be successful this season immediately which is a, a pretty uh, blunt statement um what, what, what do you think is possible for this team now that they have reset and they've gotten the Helton cloud out of the way because it would have hung over the rest of the season and just gotten darker and darker. Do you have any renewed confidence in what this team can do now with this change? Uh, not yet. I need to see what what this means for the offensive staff and what will they change and what, what adjustments can they make. Um, just because uh, I think it was interesting – listening to Clay and Graham speak after the game and it was a lot of uh, the players were in the position to strike the plays, he didn't make the plays and he didn't hear a lot of what the staff could be doing better yeah. um, to fix these things and ultimately they're the ones who are paid millions of dollars to get it right and there was not a lot of accountability there so I, I want to see what, what the office staff does and how they adjust and how they respond to all this um, I, I have confidence that the staff will and I think they'll be fine, but I'm still curious in a wait-and-see mode if the offensive side of the ball can can do anything differently and make things easier for the offense. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mentioned this in my column 
Saturday night, Sunday morning, that everyone who was asked what went wrong tonight just said, well, we didn't execute. We didn't execute. We got to execute better. If we execute, it'll all be good. And it was kind of faux accountability, whereas, okay, that's great. Yeah, you didn't execute. But how about the how and why it's going to change? And and to them, it was, it was just uh, the entirety of the conclusion was we didn't execute. And there was, there was no second part to it. And, and maybe that just goes to the overall comment about just accountability lacking in this program. It, you know, it was also interesting that we stood there after the game and cornerback Chris Steele says we didn't have a good week of practice. And I, I, I could tell coming in it was evident and it carried over. And then Clay Helton says we had our best week of practice since fall camp started. And I think there's a, a lot to take away from that in, in the big picture as to maybe – what was wrong or lacking in this program if one of his players felt that way and, and he felt the complete opposite. You know, I don't want to read too much into just that one anecdote, but it seems to feed into the overall trend that ultimately Helton was just not able to identify what needed to change or be fixed or be the guy to make that happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it is not good when, when the gap of, perception or reality with Chris Steele and Clay just isn't that when it's that wide <laughs> and, and uh, you know when the opinions are, are that different and that's something we've heard I remember Cedric Ware saying something like that um, in 2018 after they lost to Texas or Stanford and, and Clay saying something similar it's, it's, it's been a reoccurring issue and um, Clay is one of the only Clay I think and Ken Colbert are the only coaches left from that 2018 staff and it's still happening you know, people are still saying some of the same things three years later. Um, and that's ultimately the problem where Clay just never figured it out. Yeah, well, just last, lastly for you, this is going to be a quicker segment than usual because we've had a long show, but I cannot let you go without delving at least uh, minimally into the now co- national coaching search that is underway. And obviously uh, none of us know anything yet, and I don't even think that Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna have any concrete direction yet on that. And they, they don't have to. They have a lot of time. But we've all seen the same list of names and some variation go out. Who intrigues you the most on that list, and, and who do you think is the most realistic? Uh, obviously, the, the two Midwest guys, Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell. Yep. Um, I think those guys are are interesting. I think I think I'm still somewhat wary of group of five AAC hires so they haven't worked out and um, like Tom Herman and some other guys who, who made the leap Scott Frost and some other guys who made the leap and um, a lot of coaches went in Cincinnati <laughs> so you know it's it's uh, they have a good track record but I'm still kind of wary of the AAC coach who, who makes the jump and kind of ultimately flames out uh, I think that's why maybe I'd lean with Matt Campbell just because he's been at Iowa State and that's Nobody's won that before. Um, yeah. And I think that's why he, he stands out to me more um, as a candidate, just because it's hard to win at that job, and he's done a great job of developing, and he's built a good culture there. Um, so I think that's, that's the one I lean toward the most um, when it comes to this, but I'm sure there's going to be plenty of names, and knowing USC and the media in Los Angeles, it's going to be wild with – crazy rumors and stuff that's far, far, far from true. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I, I try to preface the fan base already on that, that don't believe everything you see on Twitter. And we already saw, I saw two reports 
Monday night that were definitely false, but we're getting traction, so it's going to happen. I, I agree with you. Uh, Matt Campbell would be my top choice. I think on my hot board, I put Luke Fickle at the top because he's the most obvious, uh, and you just can't ignore the connection there with Mike Bone hiring him at Cincinnati and the fact that he's obviously earned the promotion to a bigger school if he if he wants it and chooses to take it somewhere. And uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense. If they do hire him, I, I don't think it would be a lazy hire. I, you know, sometimes when you just go to the well of familiarity, it can be a move of laziness. But, but Luke Fickle is going to be at the top of many, many lists for schools. So that, that would not be a lazy hire. But you make a great point. And, and I probably haven't given enough thought myself about the track record of coaches making that jump and how much risk there is in there, especially at a program that has produced so many successful coaches as Cincinnati has. That's a great point. Uh, I, I love Matt Campbell. I mean, I, I said it earlier on the podcast, I, Iowa State was the most irrelevant Power 5 program when he took over. And I spent time in Big 12 country in Kansas City and went up there for some basketball games, but never football. But it was, they were so far off the radar, and to be – nationally ranked and perennially in the conversation now is the greatest turnaround of the last decade at least in college football so i I don't know if he wants to leave the midwest he's always been a midwest guy uh but he would be be my first call bill o'brien's gotten a lot of buzz and i don't i put him on on our board just because i've heard from multiple people that he's interested or could be interested and that there there seems to be buzz uh, emanating from various sources about him I wouldn't be so high on that one, uh, personally. That's surprised the, that his his name being involved so much has surprised me, but it, I, I don't think it's uh, – I don't know if it will be the best fit. That could be one of the classic cases of an agent pushing that out there and it getting traction, as often happens in these things, where there's been no explicit interest from the, the school, but the, the coach and his representation kind of frame it that way to try and create the interest. And then, you know, the familiar names, Bob Stoops, James Franklin, we'll see all those. And, and and the list will expand, and it's totally possible that someone who's not on any of our list ends up being the guy in the end. So it'll be a few, fun few months. <laughs> Definitely, man. All right, well, Antonio, thank you, as always, for your time, and I will see you out on the practice field. See you, man. Okay, that is our show. Hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Great conversation with Max Brown, and Awesome to have his uh, perspective as a former player at USC who has been through this very thing a couple times and also a guy who played for Clay Helton. So I thought that was uh, of great value to have him weigh in here. Uh, you know, Normally we bring Max on for his analyst abilities to break down matchups and take us inside the, the X's and O's and give us more insight there, but uh, great stuff today. I uh, appreciate Adam Gorney and the work that he did yesterday tracking down recruits while I was busy covering the news of the day and uh, always value his perspective on the recruiting front. And we'll certainly check back with him in the coming months as we get closer and closer to the end of this recruiting cycle. And then uh, always love having Antonio on. The listeners love having Antonio on. I think he's one of the best we have on the beat here. Uh, definitely a lot of mutual respect with him, even though we work for different companies. So I appreciate him popping on to talk about his story and just add a little more perspective from those of us who cover the team. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Trojan Talk podcast. And again, if you are not subscribed to Trojansports.com, take advantage of our free trial. We, we launched it yesterday in conjunction with this, this news and the coaching search because 
This is a very exciting time for the future of USC football. And it's been really entertaining to be on the Trojan Talk message board. It's as lively as it's ever been in my time here, and that's going to continue in the months to come. And we're dropping insight uh, as we get it, and, and we have a little bit more coming this week that I'll just tease right there. So if you're not subscribed, free trial, 60-day free trial, no commitment. We just want to get you in and have you take a look at what we do, and if you like it, we hope you'll stay. But you, there's no commitment. There's no uh, money up front. It's a f- true free trial. You can cancel before the 60 days are up, and, and you're out. But we hope that you come in. You like what we're doing. You like our community, which we're very proud of. Our Trojan Talk community is different than maybe some other message boards, and, and that's a good thing in our eyes in, in the way we handle things. So we'd like you to see that. And use code NEWUSC. N-E-W-U-S-C is the code at sign up to get that trial. Or go to the homepage at Trojansports.com and you will see a banner at the top of the page and many other places that reference it. And you can click on any of those and join up. Thanks again. We'll be back with a podcast next week.